Welcome to the Table Leadership Podcast, where everyone is invited to pull up a seat, and all leaders have a voice to contribute to the conversation. We're glad you could join us today. And now, your host, Sian Edgerton. There you go. There we go. Is that okay for your optics? Or? Yeah, no, it's perfect. It's perfect. <coughs> all right. Looks cool. very, uh, very official and collegiate with all the stacks of books and everything too. Like you're really <coughs> right now. Man, <laughs> I really love books. So Me too. Books all over the office. What are you it's reading good. right now? What are you really loving? <coughs> really? You want to know? Yes. Okay. Um reading this the gospel of hip-hop Ooh. okay yeah. tell me about that uh <laughs> i'm really interested to go into i have a real heart for ministering to black young adults and i know you know that and hip-hop is probably the most influential genre culture mm-hmm. on the black community so i kind of want to know what it is that they ache for and what they look for and yeah what would good news be yeah. So I figured I would read <laughs> what they say it is and then yeah. see if I can draw a pathway from that to the uniqueness of Jesus and the necessity of like having Jesus. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, but so I'm reading their text. Mm-hmm. That's so great. Isn't that exactly what we're supposed to do, though, to come into the world and into the culture and say, how can I take what's already real and relevant and meaningful for you and use mm-hmm. that, like you said, to draw a pathway? Yeah. That's, yeah. I'm so, I'm just reminded of the place in scripture where was it Paul who, um, I forget where he was ministering, but they, or was it Peter, whoever it was, I should know this, but I don't and whatever, <laughs> but they had all the different, um, like oh, idols yeah, to God, yeah. right? Yeah. And then there's the one to the unknown God. And he's like, Oh, Hey, let me tell you about who this God is. And just took yeah. something right from the culture and said, cool, exactly. I can use this to tell you about how much Jesus loves. Me. That's exactly right. I mean, that's exactly what you're doing. That's awesome. So necessary. I love it. I love it. I love it. So then tell me, tell me uh, in light of, of that and what you're reading and, and your heart and everything. Um, tell me what you think about Kanye. Uh, are we doing like real talk, real talk? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, I'm just curious because I know your heart and I know what you do. Yeah, and so I'm just I mean, wondering, how are you processing this? I'm, I am being uh convicted by the lord in the sense Mm -hmm. that like in my concern for kanye i am not i hadn't been celebrating to the same level as i had been concerned Mm -hmm. and so i'm celebrating that he has more language for what he believes and has Mm -hmm. made seems like he's like it seems like what he had in his head has just kind of transitioned to his heart yeah and um that's good uh so i feel really good about you know, the trajectory. I just hope he has the right people in place because I know mm-hmm. that um, the politics of ministry, sometimes people can kind of try to like take advantage of big people and use them as a, you know, a badge of honor or something like that. So um, that's the main thing that I'm concerned about. Um, yeah. Just kind of hoping that there are more seasoned uh, believers um, in hip hop that will come along and uh, help him out. So yeah. 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 Cause I mean, there are several, but mm-hmm. they're not as uh, how vocal and buoyant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, uh, but that's, that's just how Kanye is, which is like, I think hard because I don't think the black community is taking it as seriously and mm-hmm. is a little suspicious. Like how long is this going to last? Like, is this another mm-hmm. like Kanye thing? Um, yeah. and so I feel like in some ways it's been painful for the black community because it's like, it's actually interesting how the deeper somebody goes into evangelicalism, the less connected to black culture and blackness they become. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I'm kind of like praying about that too. Like, how do we pray for him? And, but I'm happy for him. And I, I think it's great. I mean, I'm supposed to rejoice. Like there's a party in yeah. heaven, right? Yeah. So I'm, I rejoice in that for yeah. sure. I just hope that he has the right people around him. Yeah, yeah, that's critical. Man, can you imagine the next great revival in the church coming through hip hop? Right. Uh, yeah. I yeah, mean, sure. yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, of so um, 
So formally, because everybody doesn't know you the way that I know you, let's go ahead and pause real quick and do introductions because we can just sit here and talk about books and (laughs) hip hop and what you think about everything all day long. But I want people to know you and love you the way that I do. So go ahead and introduce yourself and just, um, Timmy's, just tell us a little bit about like who you are, where you're from, what you do, anything that you think might be relevant for our listeners to get to know you. Yeah, I'm Tamise. I'm from Virginia. Um, 757, to be exact. 757. I'm from the um, Chesapeake area. And uh, I moved, I grew up here and then I just moved back with my family about a year and some change ago. Um, I've been doing full-time ministry for like 14 years now. And I just started my own nonprofit. So I'm kind of trying to get that off the ground and it's it's been crazy. Um, I'm in school, I'm a new mom. Well, I'm not a new mom. I have an almost two-year-old, but it feels like I'm still a new mom. Yes. It's my first one, you know what I mean? <laughs> so. Well, you know, every season of parenting, it changes too. I mean, I've got a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old and a three-year-old, and I still feel like I'm yeah. a new mom because my nine-year-old all of a sudden is yeah. just doing nine-year-old things. And I'm like, well, that's new. <laughs> So yeah, it's, I feel like I'm in a perpetual state of new momness. So I'm, I'm yes. with you right or wrong. I'm with appreciate you. Appreciate the solidarity. Sis. <laughs> appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. And um, we are kind of from the same place. I'm unfortunately mm-hmm. all the way over on the West coast now, but I'll, I'll never forget the night that we met at if gathering, right. We were with yeah. Joe Saxton's group all having dinner yeah. that night. And I don't remember yeah. how the conversation started. Like, Oh, where are you from? Where are you from? Seven, five, seven. Oh my <laughs> gosh. You're from Hampton. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was so funny. I remember all of that. I, remember I don't know why <laughs> it means so much when you find someone that's like from your hometown. But it <laughs> it's the truth. For some reason. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I love it. And so, um, so I've known you since then just absolutely love, 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 love the work that you're doing and the heart that you have. Um, before we get into all that, cause I also, I want you to talk a lot about subculture today, okay. but before we get into all of that, the first question that I have to ask you, I ask this to all my guests and this is kind of the icebreaker question is if we were together right now, live, not virtually, and we were gathering a group of leaders to do this, to have some conversations and do some leadership development, because of course, this is the table leadership podcast. Mm -hmm. The question is, what would you be feeding us? Mm. I probably will be feeding you mm, probably black eyed peas. Mm. Mm. <laughs> but like if it was actual food but if it's more theoretical I think I bring I bring perspective to the table I think Ooh, um, I think good. I bring um, I think I bring advocacy to the table um, and I have a lot of receipts so I'm bringing those with me too <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. I want to talk about that. I do, but I have to ask you, do you make your own black eyed peas? Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Give me, start cooking them on December 31st Uh and then eat them when we get home in the new year. We always done that. Yeah. Give me like the real quick down and dirty. How do you make them? Because here's the thing. There's some, Hey, listen, you know what? When I hit, when I hit stop recording, then will you tell me? You're not going to give me the secret, are you? Yeah, I might tell you when you finish recording. Okay. All right. Girl, like that. <laughs> Ask me for the recipes. I know. I know. It's taboo. My ancestors are turning over. <laughs> Here's my problem, though, Tamise. Listen, <laughs> I am on the West Coast of California, and there is nothing that even closely resembles soul food here. Mm. So if I am not cooking it myself... Wow. That happened. I was talking to Chris House. Actually, Chris House gave me, do you know Chris? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Worship pastor? Nah. Janika's husband? Okay. Um, he's 7572. And we mm-hmm. he was on the podcast recently and we were talking and um, he actually gave me a recommendation for a soul food place. Um, it's a couple hours away from me though. So I'm still looking. I'm still on the hunt. And if any of the listeners in the East Bay area know where I can get some legit soul food, that would be great. But I was telling him the one thing that I miss the most, aside from like my family, of course, and my <laughs> friends, because you know, my people are important. But I said, the one thing that I miss the most is mango, mango. Mm-hmm. You ever been there? 
in Phoebus? Yeah, I've been there. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's, I miss Mango Mango. I do. Yes. I really you can do. Take a moment of silence. Mango Mango. <laughs> Just kidding. I will do it too. I will. <laughs> okay. So now that you've got me craving soul food, um, let's, and I love that that's what you would bring to is black eyed peas to the table, everybody. And I love, you know, I always start with that kickoff question just because I think there's something really beautiful and equalizing about gathering to break bread together around the table, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and there's just something really powerful. I was talking to, I was doing an interview recently with a really dear friend of mine, Kim, and she was talking about the ministry of the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, that just so resonates with mm-hmm. me, not just because I love to eat, but, you know, just truly the ministry of the kitchen and the ministry of food and gathering mm-hmm. around a table. So I just always like to start with that and, and see yeah, what people would, would bring as the equalizer. But I love what she said about bringing perspective and advocacy and receipts. So let's talk a little bit about each <laughs> one of those. Sure. So uh, starting with perspective, what is the perspective that you feel like you bring that is so necessary? Um, I think the main thing for me would be, um, I have grown up in white evangelical spaces. And so because Mm -hmm. of that, um, it helps me to, um, stand where I am in ministry, uh, and be able to sort of mediate between the spaces that I'm in and love Mm -hmm. from time to time and, uh, the spaces that I live to serve. And so I think um, oftentimes when I'm reading a book or I'm hearing someone preach or I'm reading, you know, steps to how to do things more missionally or what's the next thing we should do, I often am wondering about my students in my head. Like, I'm wondering about all the Black students that I've worked with on campuses and thinking, Mm -hmm. like, I wonder if this author or this speaker is visualizing the same people that I am. Yeah. And, um no, that's just kind of been the thing for me for the last probably five or six years, just mm-hmm. uh, what is out there for them and who who is thinking about them. Yeah. Um, and so I decided to try to maybe take my concern and turn it into an actual thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I think that that's the perspective that I bring is like I go to evangelical uh, graduate programs. I grew up in these movements. And so I think I'm able to communicate to both to both actually. So yeah. yeah. What you said is so good about who, as these people are writing these books or putting out this content or whatever it is, who are they thinking about? Who is mm-hmm. the audience? You know, who are they really writing this for? Cause we like to say, Oh no, this is for everyone. This business, this organization, this content, this sermon, this book, this, whatever. Yeah. This is for everyone. But the reality is usually it's for the people that are like us because that's who we naturally are most inclined to be able to relate to. And that's who, whether it's intentionally or not consciously Mm -hmm. or unconsciously, that's who we're, that's who we're directing it at because that's who we're connected to. And it takes so much intentional work to grow, like you said, that perspective and to be Mm -hmm. able to actually say, Hey, who am I writing this for? Who am I doing this for? Who am I producing this for? And when Mm -hmm. I imagine that crowd in my mind, is it diverse? And Mm -hmm. even if it is, do I actually know how to serve every single person that I'm trying to serve? Because it's one thing to say, Oh yeah, I want to write for, or I want to produce content, or I want to start a business or whatever for Mm -hmm the underserved or the marginalized or whatever else, but do I actually share the perspective? Do I actually know what helps and what hurts? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And you bring the perspective, obviously of being able to say, Hey, I can help educate and inform you of how to, how to do more good than you do harm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Think graciously, a lot of, though. <laughs> yes. Oh, no, you do. You do it so graciously. But I mean, I think the truth is there's so many places where the white evangelical movement has wanted to do good, but has ended up doing way more harm, not intending to, not meaning to, but by being grossly misinformed about what the real need was and about coming in as, you know, with a savior complex instead of coming in to serve and support. 
Um, Mm -hmm. anyways, now I'm kind of going off in a different direction. Mm -hmm. She said it, not me, but yes, I did. Yes. And I will absolutely stand by it too. Um, (laughs) give me, give me your, your take on that though, from someone who's working the other side of that field, just, I don't even know what the question is, but just give me your, your gut response to that. Sure. I think, um, I think for students, of color, uh, particularly black students, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm not, I can't speak for all black young people in all the earth. Um, but what I find more often than not is that the questions they have, um, they're not getting the answers to them. So mm-hmm. I think evangelicals come in with this set of this list of like apologetic answers and um, these sort of diatribes about what a person needs to hear about the gospel. Um, we'll just give them the gospel. Um, but the gospel is good news. And so the question is not just give them the gospel. The question is, what is good news to these people? Yes. Um, and so if a person is not even in the same wavelength uh, of what you're bringing to the table, then it's just a misstep. And mm-hmm. um, I think for a long time, um, evangelicals have kind of missed that, like, um, kind of saying, well, just give them the gospel, but they have a certain set of principles and things that they mean when they Mm -hmm. say that. Um, Mm -hmm. and some of those things are not, um, they're not helpful, uh, for an initial conversation. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that's something that I feel like, uh, is, is probably like a historical thing, like just a, Mm -hmm. a general, um, I won't, I don't want to say indifference because I don't think everybody's indifferent. I just think there's Mm -hmm. like this general, like, I don't, I thought that this was supposed to work. And like, you know, I drew the diagram perfectly and I don't understand why, um, this isn't working. And I think that the barriers for black students, uh, coming to Jesus are really different. Yeah. Um, and they're really kind of, uh, they're more historical and cultural and social mm-hmm. than they are philosophical and theoretical. And mm-hmm. I think that's the issue. Um, yeah. Well, and as much as I think, too, sometimes we like to believe that when we say the gospel, what we mean is something that applies to everyone. But mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of places And this is what's been handed down to us. So again, not to fault those that are continuing to share this gospel, but I think the gospel itself has been colonized in Mm -hmm. many, many ways. And so when you're taking a a colonized gospel and trying Uh to share that as good news, when it's Mm -hmm. actually really far from the original heart that I think God intended, a colonized gospel bears no relevance to a culture of color. Yeah. It's the truth. And so. and more so, I think it's harder now just because of the the climate that we're in. And, um, you know, there were some, you know, Black people such as myself that uh, grew up in sort of in areas or in neighborhoods or went to certain schools where we knew how to be in mixed presence. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that made it a little bit easier for us to kind of be in these spaces and to be the residents token Mm -hmm. person um, and to do that with grace and and not even realizing the, I guess the toll that it takes on you until, you know, until recently, a couple of years ago, people are starting to realize like, you know, they're starting to excavate all of this pain um, Mm -hmm. as they're thinking through everything. And I really feel that there's room for those people as they heal and reconstruct and decolonize Mm -hmm. and remove and extract poison Mm -hmm. (laughs) from that I think that's the hope for us, actually, yeah. those individuals who um, cling to Jesus um, and sift through everything else. Yeah. Um, I know that's what I've been doing. Yeah. Um, and that's true for a lot of a lot of my friends as well. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, over the years, we've. I think attempts have been made, but mm-hmm. what's happened is we went from saying, okay, well, you don't have a seat at the table to, oh, no, you have a seat at the table, but you don't have a voice. And then mm-hmm. we went to, okay, you have a seat at the table and you have a voice as long as it doesn't um, offend me too much. And as long as it sounds like mine. So if you're okay code switching constantly, then you can be at the table and have a voice. But we have yet to really come to the place where we say, you have a seat at the table, you deserve a seat at the table. You have a voice and we want your voice to bring its truth 
and to sound mm-hmm. like it naturally should sound, not have to code switch in a way that is easier <laughs> for our white ears to receive. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really funny when you think, uh, like black people, a lot of times when when they're invited to like a cookout or something like that, they'll say mm-hmm. something like, well, who all is over there? Mm-hmm. And that's going to help them determine whether they're going to go or not. Yeah. And the funny thing about it is like the, I've heard a lot of conversations about seats at the table, but the problem is they didn't have anything to do with setting the table or what we're eating. Yes. And so I appreciate this, but I'm allergic to that. I don't eat that. Mm-hmm. This this is actually detrimental to my system. Mm-hmm. And so instead of actually asking someone to come in and set the table and yeah. create that table, um, I think that would do a lot more in terms of dignifying and valuing the voices as opposed to like, come on yes. and sit down and eat what we got for you. That's um, such a good point. So I'm wondering about how, ways to do that and, and yeah. what types of examples of that um, do we mm-hmm. see, you know? And mm-hmm. I think, you know, this is one of them. And I'm thinking mm-hmm. about others who are kind of trying to do this in a real intentional way. It's really, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you make such a good point too. Who built the table in the first place? Right. You know, I mean, if we're still talking about a table (laughs) that I didn't help build, like you said, food that I didn't help. Yeah. Maybe I'm being invited to, to pull up a seat, but Mm -hmm. still it's in a colonized space. And so that complete deconstructing of everything and look, we have to start over from scratch and we need to build this table together. Better yet, Mm -hmm. how about you build the table and gosh, if we could be so honored as to have a seat at it and to learn from you because we Mm -hmm. need to, you know, that pendulum swing kind of needs to go the other way. That's good. I love the perspective that you bring. The second thing that you said, which, you know, we've kind of talked about a little bit, but you said advocacy. Yes. What does that mean for you right now? Oh, well, right now, I think um, when I'm advocating for for these young people, I think it, it means that I'm really kind of bringing the plight mm-hmm. um, into the spaces that I'm accepted in. Um, because I know that those things are the reasons they don't come into these spaces. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think for me right now, advocacy is obviously what I'm doing with subculture, but just when I'm in spaces like this, when I'm on podcasts like that, um, I often bring them up and I I just put them in the room. You know, I bring them with me um, to the space. And, um, you know, at school, they call me a troublemaker uh, (laughs) because I do that. I do that often. Like this doesn't make any sense to, to Breon at all. And, um, and it, and it should, you know, uh, especially because Breon, is going to be leading the church in the next 40 years. Yep. <laughs> so, um, so I think advocating for them now so that again, there is a table that is set for them mm-hmm. um, to inherit as opposed to like, what are we supposed to do, like build from this? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's the way I'm advocating right now. Like yeah. um, advocating for discipleship that takes their unique dynamics um, mm-hmm into consideration and advocating for their socioeconomic needs and advocating Mm -hmm. for the ones who are in school, who've already made that step, um, who still face situations that could keep them out of school and send them all the way back to toxic environments. And it's like, you know, at that point, it's like, what, what can we do to keep that from happening? Um, Students want to grow. They want forward mobility. They want to matriculate out of school into the workforce. But there are real things that hinder them that don't hinder their counterparts. And mm-hmm. um, they need they need a voice in other spaces. And yeah, it just so happens that most of the resources are in white evangelical spaces. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so with that in mind, with the need that there is and the resources and where they are, tell me specifically what you're doing through subculture. What yeah. um, kind of inspired that and, and what is the actual work that you do? Yeah, I think everything I said is what inspired it. Yeah, um, yeah. But uh, so I won't go into that whole long spiel. But um, basically what we do is we raise scholarships for students who face a crisis in college. So anything from a parent is sick and they don't have the money to get home. Uh, we'll buy the flight or if they don't have groceries for that week or they need their car fixed or we, we make we write checks to financial aid for them to keep them in school so they can register. Um, and we see this as kind of clearing the path for them, mm-hmm. not only to like finish school, but also to Jesus, because, again, their needs um, and their questions are connected to all of that. Mm-hmm. Um 
And so we need to show them Jesus and show yeah. them Jesus breaking in. But I think um, what we don't want to do, we never write checks or anything to actual individual students. Mm-hmm. We only write it to like the car mechanic or we buy a grocery gift card or mm-hmm. we go directly. We have, I mean, we're getting to know all these like financial aid folks. It's really great. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll call the school and we'll pay on behalf of the student and things like that. Um, and then the cool thing is, like, when a student applies, they have to give us um, either a counselor reference or a uh-huh. ministry leader reference, somebody who knows this student, who can help this student when they receive the help, who can actually flesh this out as part of the discipleship process yes. with them, as opposed to just getting a check in the mail. Yeah. Um, so we do all of that. And that's the way that... Um, that subculture works. So on the other end of what we do, we do like digital resourcing, digital Mm -hmm. discipleship, and then we do um, curriculum and consulting for people who want to break into those spaces or do it more effectively. We use that money that's generated to go into our scholarships as well. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of like the, that's the gist of what subculture is and does. Yeah. I love it. And where does your funding come from? Are you fundraising? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm the uh, I'm the fundraiser, the CFO, the CEO, the admin, the secretary, the founder. The <laughs> I'm doing it all. All the things. <laughs> yeah. I can't say that. I have a great team. I have yeah. a great team of people who are. Um, I guess they're helping me in kind until I can pay them what they're worth. <laughs> yep. Yep. So yeah. Um, so it's it's been great. It's been great to see the people come out like out mm-hmm. of the woodwork to support and help and. It's been awesome. It sounds like what I'm hearing and correct me where I'm wrong. Cause I don't want to put words into something that aren't accurate, but it sounds like what you're doing is actually the work of bringing equity. And I think yeah. for a long time, the conversation has been about equality, right? Mm-hmm. Well, okay. It's we're equal segregation ended, whatever. And, and things are equal, mm-hmm. but the reality is it's not equal just to put mm-hmm. two people in the, in the same space. It's not equal. And so there's a difference mm-hmm. between equality and equity. And it mm-hmm. sounds like the work that you guys are doing is actually bringing equity to these students of color. Sure. And I think it's funny when you say that, when you talk about equity, because it's kind of like, you know, that's not news to people of color. It's news to white right. people like that. Right. We've been equal this whole time. We've all right. had value. And, and so I think what's hard is that um, that's news to white people. But but again, the people who didn't understand that fact created all of these systems yep. um, before they had this revelation that everybody's valuable and made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think what happens is like we, we now have to start dealing with the systems yep. uh, that are in place. And one of the main things that I think is um, very I mean, it's glaringly clear that the wealth gap uh, between blacks and whites um, is what causes that thing. It, it just continues to kind of push us apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, the only way for a Black student to close the wealth, gla- wealth gap is education. Right. <laughs> and so when they're not able to finish their education, mm-hmm. then again, there's no way for them to close that gap. Mm-hmm. And so one of the ways that I think, uh, especially white, the white church or mm-hmm. white evangelicals can help is by giving, you know, mm-hmm. put your money where your mouth is, because otherwise yeah. it's just, um, we can sing songs, but at the end of the day, you know, this student needs help, like to close this gap. Yeah. And, and that's what Jesus talks about, right? He talks mm-hmm. about like, if your friend asks you to go with him one mile, you go with him too. give them mm-hmm. your cloak also, like, you know, take some of what is yours and give to another. And I yeah. think, um, you know, hopefully, and actually, you know, most of our success advocates, the people who are giving to that particular fund, mm-hmm. they're all white, mm-hmm. which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just, they're incredible people. Like our advocates, shout out to the advocates. They're yeah. just, they're amazing people. And um, I think you're right. Like, I know this is a dirty word right now, but it is reparations. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. Um, and I don't know why that's weird because we are to be repairers of the breach. Um, that's in the Bible. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, in my mind, someone mentioned this to me the other day, they were like, oh, so this is like a reparations thing. And I didn't set out to do that. I just tried to think of like a savvy way of not only having to fundraise, but in a way like, you know, a church or a ministry that is paying consulting fees. Mm-hmm. Um, to learn how to better serve this community, they're also getting they're getting equipped. But while they're doing that, they're also like legitimately helping a student stay in school because that's right. where the fees go. Right. Um, 
So I, I think it's a cool model and hopefully the word gets out about it. So yeah, absolutely. I'm, I really love it. I love what I'm doing. I'm so excited for what you're doing. And I've got to see the process as it was kind of building and growing. Got to see what, yep, at Azer Collective Mm -hmm. when there was so much just stirring and I love it. And what we'll do is we'll include in the show notes, all of the links and the information um, so that if people want to find out more, learn more, get involved, start giving, you know, that'll all be in the show notes. So for everyone that's listening, make sure that uh, you check those out and look at the the work that Tamisa is doing and figure out how you can, how you can get involved. For sure. And so you mentioned um, three things you said you brought to the table, perspective, advocacy, and receipts. Receipts. Talk (laughs) about receipts. I mean, you know, I've just been doing, I've been in the game a long time. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, I think receipts was just kind of a tongue in cheek way to explain perspective. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's it's like, you know, I've been in the game a long time and um, only now, it's funny, I remember when I started to become a little bit more vocal about these types of things and friends would say, um, um, you're acting so weird. Like, this mm-hmm. is so new. Like, who are you? You've become this angry person. Like, mm-hmm. what is going on with you? Like, have you become <laughs> liberal? Are you still following Jesus? You should see my DMs and my emails and my voicemails. Wow. And, and I think, you guys, I have always been black. Yeah. <laughs> you mm-hmm. never asked me about it. Yeah. But I've always been black. Yeah. And I think it what's interesting is I started to become more vocal about that because something needed to be said about all of these young people dying, you know, mm-hmm. in that span between like 2012 and 2016. I mean, it was ridiculous mm-hmm. the amount of young people who were being murdered. Yeah. And um, you know, for me to say something about their lives mattering. And losing, not only losing friends, but losing donors as well, because it's, you know, you're bringing politics into it. And there's nothing political Mm -hmm. about Imago Day. There's Mm -hmm. nothing political about that. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I feel, I feel like, you know, since that time, um, (laughs) I've, I've got, I've healed a lot from that time and I feel a lot more confident, but also, um, you know, I really, I really love my brothers and sisters and this yeah. family is dysfunctional, but we don't have a choice. We mm-hmm. are all in this family together. We got the same blood. Right. So like, I think what's been helpful is having people like yourself, other people, um, other white women and men coming alongside and saying, we see you, we hear you sis. Like, how can mm-hmm. we pray? Like, I'm actually going to say something that, or I'm going to say something or affirm something that might even cost me a little bit. Um, and in that way, that solidarity is real. You know, yeah. it, it feels like, yo, this person really, they see me and they care. And so when I talk about receipts, it's like, you can't trick me because I've been in the game. Yep. <laughs> so, you um, you know, you can't, you can't come into a situation and say, well, this is just, you know, well, we're just being, uh, we're just trying to be patient. It's like, no, yeah. y'all didn't do that with this situation. Like, I know how y'all operate around this time of year. And this is not what you said about this person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, on, in one hand, you know, like, you know, we shouldn't worship, um, I don't know, idols. And on the other hand, if a person begins to expose the idol, uh, well, well, that's not okay. We should be proud of where we're from. And yeah. I know you can read between the lines with that, but it's just like that, that kind of stuff is like, wait a minute, y'all, y'all are being real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. One of these things is not like the other. Yep. <laughs> so, and they don't fit. So, yeah. And yeah. so I think, you know, but there's, I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm bashing my brothers, sisters, because I love them and I don't have a choice. And mm-hmm. um, I think that's one thing that, kind of separates me. I tell this a lot to my clients. It's like, um, I have no desire to make someone feel worse than they're already doing. Like that's mm-hmm. not, um, I do want them to feel, right. um, but shame is not one of the things that I want them to feel. Yeah. And, um, and so what, what we do in our work is definitely really just trying to have dignity and privacy for people to mm-hmm. learn this stuff. So they feel armed when they mm-hmm. come to the table, um, as opposed to like feeling like I can't step into this. I'm going to say the wrong thing. Everything's a minefield. We're just trying to kind of equip people with like the tools and the knowledge to where they step into a conversation and they know what, you know, redlining is, or they know what the black codes were, or they know who this figure is and why it matters. And mm-hmm. um, so next time somebody on the news says something sort of ignorant, that person can go, oh no, 
you know what? I think this will be offensive to my friend because of this, this, this that happened in history. Yeah. And, um, and so that's kind of what we're trying to do. Um, Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's something that I bring to the table because there's a lot of angry people out here. And Mm -hmm. um, I can say that their anger is, even if it's not, or the ways they're expressing their anger is not defensible, but it's understandable. Yeah. So I think um, one thing God's gifted me with is that I've had really amazing relationships with white believers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that kind of helps me to say like, this person is not my enemy. Um, um, but I think God might be calling me to like, go with him two miles yeah. um, and be, be inconvenienced by this conversation. And then yeah. know, knowing myself enough to go like, I'm tired. I can't do y'all today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but for the most part, like just saying like, no, it is my call as a Christian to lay down my life. Yeah. And sometimes that means answering the same question that you asked me last time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, that's, that is, it is, it is what it is. And so yeah. I think that's what I mean by receipts. <laughs> No, that's good. And on the other side of that, on the other side of the receipts, I'm thinking is the invoice. And I think, was Uh, was it Christina Cleveland? Yeah. Was it Christina who posted that thing on social media about the invoice? Mm -hmm. Uh, Tell me, because I'm going to, I don't want to say it wrong. And because there's a number of things on it, but um, what was, tell me the idea of that. Again, I don't even remember, girl. I saw it go out and I was like, Christina's out here on this rant right now. She's dope, though. I mean, got, I got to meet her like yeah. uh, doing this. Uh, I'm doing this um, justice cohort for emerging leaders and being in her space like she does not hold back like from what she says. But when you're around her, she's only ever talking about like, let's just center ourselves and sit in the presence of Jesus. <laughs> she's the most like. Yeah. <laughs> to be around but she will give it to you yes and I love it and what she was talking about it was so good with the invoice it was it was basically you know a a black woman's invoice and and it included items on it it was like this line item line by line invoice of you know expecting me to share my story for free and (laughs) and all of these other things and having to educate you and and Mm -hmm. it was all of these things that oftentimes the, I will say like majority white culture that needs to have the awareness brought almost expects like it's your job, it's your duty, it's your responsibility. And on the one hand, yes, we need to, you know, be willing to, to educate and all that. Um, but there's a place where we can learn on our own. I mean, there, I can give you a slew of books to go read, Mm -hmm. to be educated. And, uh, you know, this is not, we don't have diverse relationships so that, Mm-hmm. we can use those people to educate us and fix us. I tell people Absolutely. all the time, if you don't already have someone of a different ethnicity than you, that you're in deep enough relationship with that you can talk to this about, then start with some books mm-hmm. because it's, you know, we don't have token friends just so mm-hmm. that they can educate us and walk us on this path of raising awareness. And of mm-hmm. course, we, the majority culture, need to be doing that work too. It's not all mm-hmm. your job. I was just mm-hmm. talking uh, in another podcast that I recorded recently with my friend Kim about this. Mm-hmm. How there's there's a reason that the majority culture needs to have a voice in this. It's the same way that it's affirming for me as a woman, a female preacher, when a male counterpart affirms my leadership, affirms yeah. my voice on that stage, affirms yeah. me being on that platform to preach and to teach to crowds mm-hmm. of people that include men and women. And that majority yeah. culture lending a voice is powerful mm-hmm. and affirming and, and needs to be sharing in that responsibility. Mm-hmm. And so my, there was actually a question in all of that, believe it or not. I know I'm going like a million different places. It's great. But it's great. My, my real question is, what does soul care and self-care look like for you? Mm. Because this is exhausting work. It mm. is hard work. That's what made me think about the whole invoice thing that Christina yeah. posted. Um, and you mentioned, you know, that you're willing to go those two extra miles. But then there's also the days where you're able to say, I can't deal with y'all today. Mm. What does soul care and self-care look like for you when you are doing the difficult work that you're doing, especially as a woman of color, when there's this expectation that, oh, you're going to give us your story for free, give us the answers, fix us, lead us, even though we aren't actually sure we want you to. I mean, it's just, (laughs) I I cannot imagine, honestly. And so that soul care, self-care piece, it's got to be critical. What does that look like? Um, well, first of all, I don't enter into any of those relationships without 
you know, the yes of Jesus and the smile of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so that's the way I know I'm going to have grace for this situation or not. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing I've been doing is like trying my best to stay off of social media. Um, Because if, if I post what I really think about something, um, I'm not going to go back and forth with y'all on this, you know, Mm -hmm. this is my wall, but I don't want, I don't want to get into all of that. So sometimes I just get on there maybe like on the weekends, I'm trying to do that, trying to do a little bit better with that. Um, and just kind of being on Instagram and just posting Mm -hmm. pictures of my baby. Um, so yeah, there's that. Another way that soul care happens to me is writing, um, Mm -hmm. uh, getting to express myself when nobody's talking back or asking questions. Um, and then you do, you have to know your limits. Um, you have to know when to be like, mm, not today, Lord. Yeah. I can't do it today, Lord. Yeah. And um, also having friends, you know, you <laughs> having friends where you can be like, girl, mm-hmm. <laughs> guess what just happened? And them just knowing yeah. like what you're talking about. And Without like, having to explain crazy. it and mm-hmm. yeah, unpack it. Yeah, just, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it doesn't even have to be a... Um, the whole sentence, it could just be something like James and everybody be like, girl. Yeah. (laughs) And you don't have to say anything, you know, and that's really, that's really healing. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's, it's great to have good friends like that. And then my spouse, I mean, like I shouldn't have said it last, but um, (laughs) (laughs) um, the last will be first. Um, (laughs) But yeah, like I, Paul is like completely not in this world in terms of like the ministry world. Now he's yeah. very vocal, but he's like, he doesn't really care. He's not trying to, he's, he's just being himself. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, people will often ask me when I meet new people, well, what does your husband do? Is he in ministry? And I was like, yeah, he ministers to me. <laughs> like, that's mm-hmm. his ministry. Like he wants nothing to do with this. And so I think a lot of a lot of the things that help me is like when I'm home, it's like, what's for dinner? It's not like who, you know, critical race theory all night, you know? Yes. <laughs> um, and so, um, you know, it's, you know, baby shark and Peppa Pig and, you know, we're having s'mores or something. And I yep. think that like Paul has a, a real good ability to uh, snap me out of my space or to just mm-hmm. be like, get off of the internet, like just mm-hmm. get off the internet. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think that that's something that I really appreciate that I've come to appreciate about him more um, as time has gone on because he usually can see when things are taking a toll on me before I can. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, having a husband that can recognize that and friends that can recognize like in T minus nine days, you are going to have a breakdown. Yep. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, I think that's it. And I, I mean, I learned from Christina about breathing exercises and all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff, like been doing that, doing body scans and yeah, it's been kind of dope though. I like Yeah. That's great. That's huge. Can we talk for a minute about the role of a supportive spouse for uh-huh. someone who is, cause when you said that, I love it. And you make me think of my husband, Mike, because mm-hmm. he's, he's really the same way. He's not in ministry, uh, he, vocational men. I mean, you know, everybody's got their mission field, right? When, right. Y'all, you know what I mean? So he's not in vocational ministry. Um, when I was pastoring, you know, at FLC, he was mm-hmm. working for the city. Now we're out here and I'm still pastoring and leading and starting this nonprofit and he's got yeah. a government job. And, and so we live in very different worlds professionally. Mm-hmm. And, and that used to really be a sticking point for me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to just be hundred percent real right now. Mm-hmm. And I used to think like, we need to be at the same place, but yeah. the reality is I am immersed in this culture. I am immersed mm-hmm. in the church. I am immersed in these uh, justice conversations. Mm-hmm. I am, am immersed in all of these things that he's technically not. And he's on his own journey and he's mm-hmm. going on his journey at his mm-hmm. own pace. Mm-hmm. But this, and I can share with him, I can talk to him about it all day long, mm-hmm. of course. And he's so mm-hmm. open to hear about that. But yeah. at the end of the day, my real partners in the work that I'm doing Mm -hmm. are outside of my home. And what he has always done is supported. Like Mm -hmm. you said, you know what, babe, tonight we're watching scandal. I don't want to hear about the budget meeting. I don't want to hear about the website that you still need to create. Like we're going to eat popcorn and watch scandal Mm -hmm. and let, you know, and so the, though the ways that he ministers to me in Mm -hmm. just allowing me to have a safe space to Mm -hmm. rest or whatever else is needed. Um, Mm -hmm. 
what are, what are some of the other ways? Cause I think about how many, if we could talk to the partners, especially the male partners of women who are leading in high capacity ways, sure. what does it look like to do that? Well, <sighs> well, I think, you know, what's helpful is they know, well, like Paul knows all my junk. So it's like, it's mm. very helpful for him to be like, I appreciate that everybody just gave you a standing ovation, but uh, the way you hung up the phone with me just now was not okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, quick to bring you down to reality of like, yes, this is the most important thing is my sanctification. Like it's not a platform. It's like this person here, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, so I think that way, I think also they need to know how much, like if, if, if I was sitting, if Paul was sitting here, I would say, um, you know, you need to know how much I need you um, mm-hmm. to stay like steady for me. And to mm-hmm. like, when you're doing ministry, especially as a woman, there's all this extra, there's a lot of extra mm-hmm. and like, you need to be able to be um, not on mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, I think women in general struggle with that. But I think for a guy to say like, um, you don't have to be on right now. Like you can go. My yeah. favorite thing that Paul does is like, he can tell when I just need to go into the room and shut the door mm-hmm. and just lay on the floor. Yep. <laughs> so like, I think that the things that are really helpful for me or what I would tell guys that have uh, spouses who are out here and doing ministry, um, it's just like, don't underestimate the mm-hmm. little thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because those are the things yeah. that, that, um, that really go the longest way at the end yeah. of the day. Yeah. You know? How else do we create those kind of safe spaces? Cause what I don't want is I don't want the person who's listening, who's single to hear, Oh, well, where's my support sure. system? I don't have support because we're not all going to be, you know, married and we don't need to be because that mm-hmm. does not add any value to you or your <laughs> call. That does not validate your calling. It doesn't add value to you as a person. Um, uh-huh. I, I wanted to speak to, the, the spouses, the married couples, because I think it's important for them to understand the role that they play in supporting yeah. the, the partner who is out there doing mm-hmm. that difficult work. Um, but what are the other safe spaces that we can create for ourselves when we're single? And th- because those spaces and those support system, that tribe, that village, like that is still really, really critical. Absolutely. So, so what are the other ways that we create safe spaces? What has that looked yeah. like or what have you seen other people do that's been really effective? Yeah. I mean, I think, well, I'm going to give a shout out to Erna. My friend Erna just started this cohort for, for women who are in ministry. Um, mm-hmm. And it's specifically designed for them to come together and just be, um, yes. and they all get each other. She's calling it liberated together. And it's like, you should probably interview her. She's dope. Yeah. But like she she's starting this space called um, Liberated Together. And it's just for women of color who are in ministry um, that need a break and mm-hmm. just need to come together and and not be OK. Yeah. Just to be messed together sometimes. And so I think if if you have a space like that um, or if you don't have a space like that, I would definitely try to find that space. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of other ways um, that a place could be made for support. Um, well, the cool thing about being single was that the person that I got my, uh, feedback from was not sinful because <laughs> it was me. <laughs> so yeah. I could really, really believe and follow what he was saying. Cause he yeah. didn't have a signature. So that's helpful. And yeah. I kind of miss that sometimes about my singleness, like, hold on, I don't know if that direction or that leadership mm-hmm. is right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can always trust that leadership. And, um, and I was, I got married later in life. So, Like, I feel like if I hadn't had that all through the years, I started ministry way before I got married and it was just a consistent amount of like journaling, talking with the Lord and living my best life. I can say that I loved my life, like Mm -hmm. until I got married. And I think doing things that you love, knowing what you love, figuring yourself out. Um, and if you're out here doing this work, like find a couple of people who, who enjoy what you enjoy and Mm -hmm. do those things with them. Mm -hmm. Um, that's kind of what I did. I mean, I don't know. I'm not, you know, a sage or anything like that. But um, No, but that's, that's I good. I love how you talked about, you know, learning yourself, get to know yourself, figure yeah. out what you enjoy and do those things. Because self-care, taking that time, that's, it's not 
a luxury. It's a necessity. Mm-hmm. It really is, especially when you're doing the work of leadership, whatever yeah. space you may be leading in. Self-care yeah. is a necessity, not a luxury. And, and taking mm-hmm. the time to do the things to, sure. first of all, discover what feeds my soul in the first place. Do I even mm-hmm. know that? And then secondly, actually taking the time to invest and engage and do those things. It's critical to our well-being and to our longevity in the thing that God has called us to. You know, I honestly believe that the enemy, the greatest tool that that he has in thwarting kingdom work is burnout. Mm -hmm. If he can get us to burn out by neglecting our rest and neglecting our self-care and not engaging in community and relationships Mm -hmm. and mentors and counseling and and all of those things, if we can just go, go, go and give, 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 The faster we burn out, the mm-hmm. quicker he doesn't have to worry about us anymore and can move on to the next person it's because our kingdom work is not getting done anymore. Yeah. And so our our self-care and, and our rest is actually one of the ways that we fight against the schemes of the devil. Yeah, it's the truth. Come I, I believe. Maybe, maybe I'm being a little... <laughs> no, it's true. A little and I mean, also, it, like, but... don't be super spiritual about it. I mean, for a little right. while, feeding my soul... Doritos were feeding my soul for a little while. Right. No, it doesn't have to mean that I'm like up in my prayer closet all day long. You know, I'm I'm serious about popcorn and scandal and scandal reruns. (laughs) And you know, know you gotta be watching reruns now because they're on Netflix. (laughs) I know. Picking out what you're laying down. Yes. (laughs) Carrie Washington is like, she's my soulmate, I think. So (laughs) but yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's good. So um Tell me about your friend. You said she just gathered a group of women. She just started it. Order yeah. to create a safe space. So mm-hmm. for someone who says, gosh, that's that's what I need. I'm looking around. I don't feel like there's anything created yet. I need to be part of something. It may very well be that, you know what? We just need to start something. And so what did she do? Did she just grab some people that she already knew? I mean, what did that look like? Basically, yeah, she had yeah. she already had like uh, a lot of relationships. Like she's she's amazing. Like, yeah, Erna is amazing, and she had all these relationships. And everywhere that she would go, the women, particularly the women of color who were in ministry, had the same would say the same things to her. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter where she was, it was always the same thing. So she decided like let's just create a space that answers those particular things. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's been, you know, percolating for a long time for her. Yeah. But uh, yeah, she just launched it like a few days ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just think, I think it's going to blow up. I mean, because it's really, and she's just, she's particularly gifted at like, yeah, I don't know, just kind of, she, you know, I wrote about her one time that like, she will encourage feist in your soul, but mm-hmm. also give it rest. Yeah. And it's real. she has that real good ability to do that. Um, and so I think, yeah, like I can see women like her, like yourself, like beginning to create these spaces that really have not been created. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, and like, it was Joe, like this yeah. first time I met any women like this was when I met Joe. Mm-hmm. And so like, gosh, like there are all of these people who are creating spaces for one another and seeing the gap and like, I'm just going to create that. Not just yeah. for me, for my sisters, you know? Um, and so I feel like, yeah, like what's happening right now with women and leadership, I think the reason it's coming under attack is because we're actually, you know, we're breaking some ground Mm -hmm. and yeah, I I mean, she's, it's liberated together.org. I think is the, I think that's the website. I don't know. Okay. Awesome. We'll have to yeah, check I'm it out. I'm going to give shout outs. <laughs> no, yes, do it. I love it. And, you know, it makes me think too, what would you say, what are some of the ways that men who desire to support women's voices and leadership, what are some of the things that they can do? Because like, I'm thinking about the women who are listening right now who are leading and who are saying, yes, I love it. I, I need this. I need those spaces. And then I'm thinking about the men who are listening, who are thinking, okay, well then what's my role? And like the one, Mm -hmm. the first thing that comes to mind for me, and then I want to hear what other things you would share. The first thing that comes to mind for me is understanding. And it's a little, it's similar Mm -hmm. to the race conversation, although in a very different way, obviously, Mm -hmm. but understanding that, um, we need space to be together 
as women. And this is Mm -hmm. not us not trying to be in community with you. Like, yes, we want mixed gender spaces and that's good. But at the same time, when we walk into those spaces, we're already carrying something and we're carrying your expectations and we're carrying Mm -hmm. who we're supposed to be. And Mm -hmm. we need spaces where we can take all that off and just be us and just be ourselves and not have to be censoring what we say or censoring our emotions because the men at the table don't want us to be too emotional or too aggressive Mm -hmm. or too assertive. And I'm not saying this is in all situations, but Mm -hmm. it's just for a woman to come to a mixed gender table, she's already carrying a lot with her and on her. And so Mm -hmm. the first thing that comes to mind for me is how can you as a man help build and facilitate spaces where women can be together just as women? If that just means that you're financially supporting it, then financially support it. If you're opening up space in your church for them to come meet and be together, if you are funding them to go have a retreat or to go be part of, you know, what Christina's doing, whatever Mm -hmm. it may be, fund and facilitate and advocate for women to have spaces where they can be with other women because those relationships are critical. We need to be able to take all that weight off and just be ourselves. And I think Mm -hmm. we're going to have to constantly fight for spaces for women to be women who lead together um, so that we can start breaking down the competition and the scarcity mindset. Yeah. When we're in relationship and community with one another, it's really hard. And when we're doing that well, like in true, honest, like gospel Mm -hmm. community with other women, that really begins breaking down the comparison. It begins breaking down the scarcity mindset. We're able to make space for one another. But so anyways, all that to say, the first thing that comes to mind for me, for men is man fund and facilitate and advocate for women to have spaces where they can mm-hmm. be women leaders together. What what are some other things that the men who are listening can grab onto? Girl, I don't got nothing to say to that, but say la. It's nothing to add to that. <laughs> <laughs> that was a perfect answer. I don't have nothing to say to that. That was uh, awesome. That's, it's critical though, isn't it? Yes, I mean, as a woman, obviously, reflect. as a woman of color, you know, you need those spaces with other women of color. Um, but just having those spaces for women yeah. To be together is, yeah, In general. it's huge. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So two final questions that I have for you. One, as we're directing people to subculture, we're going to have all of that in the show notes and we'll post the website mm-hmm. and everything. But what are some of the um, best ways that people can partner with you and support? If someone says, man, I want to get involved, what can they do? Well, never underestimate the power of coins. Uh-huh. So that's one. <laughs> but if you don't have the coins, which I understand, mm-hmm. um, we need prayer. Like yeah. um, everybody on my team, like when we first, we kind of, we were going to um, do a conference. And so we had, we did some rebranding and everybody that we either had physical, emotional, marital. I mean, it was, mm-hmm. it was wild. Yeah. Like the amount of attack, the whole team. Um, uh, went through. And so really, yeah, be praying for us. And um, the last thing I'll say is um, some of the like most amazing situations that we've been in mm-hmm. as a nonprofit have been because like sisters who didn't have coins mm-hmm. had friends mm-hmm. and they introduced me to their friends and their friends introduced me to their friends. And so yeah. networks, like people who are um, philanthropically interested in, in helping black students finish school, um, like I don't know all of them. Um, And so I think, yeah, like networking, um, you can do Amazon Smile. Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) anything. I don't know. Pray about it. The Lord will give you a a list. I mean, I don't know. We need a lot of stuff. So um, people that have services, I mean, whatever. Like, it's great. We'll take whatever. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. And then the last thing that I want to ask is if you could leave a final word of encouragement for Mm -hmm. leaders, and I'm going to ask you to speak specifically a final word of encouragement to white majority leaders Mm -hmm. and a final word of encouragement to leaders of color. Mm -hmm. What, what would you say? What final, because I think there's been a lot of great content and I think there's been a lot, you've given a lot of really good, like practical application, right? Mm -hmm. Because and I, and I say this all the time that information doesn't lead to transformation. Information plus application leads to transformation. So you've given us a lot of good information and you've given a lot of good practical application. What final word, piece of advice or encouragement would you give to white majority leaders? 
Um, <laughs> the first thing that came to mind was, uh, come on in, the water's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not fine. It's choppy out here. Um, yeah. But I think, like, opt in, please. Yeah. Please opt in. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we need everybody's voice. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this is, the church is the most multi-ethnic organization that has ever existed. Mm-hmm. Um, and the world doesn't even get that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially in America. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we need everybody to be, you know, unified around this thing. Like we're going to mm-hmm. go after the things that, that, uh, affect the image of Jesus in our world. And yes. one of those things in America has been white supremacy and racism. Mm-hmm. Um, and those things actually hurt white people as well. Yeah. I don't think that they know that, um, because it robs them of developing a real identity and a connection to like who God made them to be. They were just yeah. given this like cloak thing that never really made them go deeper into who they were. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just like, you know, it's like kind of like skipping the line at Disneyland, you know, mm-hmm. like there's something about like watching people do the ride that, that changes it for you. But like whiteness was just given to people and it never allowed them to like stand in line and take it in. And um, my hope is that white people will go on this journey too, of understanding their own ethnicity. Like yeah, white supremacy, it robs everybody. Like it's good. It's insidious. It robs everybody. And it's a, it's a foundation that cannot hold anything. Mm-hmm. Um, as you can see. So I think that's what I would say to, to white leaders. Um, And also like, like we love you and need you. Like it's not a, yeah. Like don't opt. I mean, don't opt out and don't settle for shame. Like shame is lame. Hey, that rhymes. Hey, (laughs) but yeah, don't do that. That's so good. Like, we don't have time for that. Like, we're in a fight. We don't have right. time for you to be sitting on the sidelines feeling shame. Right. You're made in the image of God. Like, intentionally. You look how you look intentionally. Yeah. So let's let's not do the shame thing. Like, let's just go after this. <laughs> like, together. Please. You know what I mean? So good. We could do a whole yeah. other podcast on that, Denise. Girl. I ain't doing? got no time. I got a kid that needs to eat. But what? next, maybe next time. <laughs> we might have <laughs> to do a part time. two. Seriously. Yeah. I feel you. That's fine. And, and black so- people. Black leaders? Yeah. What would you say? Oh, Jesus. Mm. You know, um, I was reading the scriptures the other day and I just started crying. I was reading in Isaiah and it was something about, yeah, it's Isaiah eleven eleven, I think, and it talks about a remnant will come from Cush. Mm. And every time in the Bible, um, God speaks about this remnant. It's this faithful group of people who stay committed to Yahweh through oppression, through loss, through pain, through sorrow, through transitions in land. I mean, through through it all, God always has a remnant. And for me, I've been thinking about Black leadership in the church, especially since this thing came out about how Black churches are uh, illiterate and not theological, um, which is uh, just incredibly incredibly hurtful yes (laughs) um actually I want to say something about that while I'm on the air okay when you say something like that and you think about the history of the black church Mm -hmm. and the fact that these people were able to see that these slave masters were not representing Jesus Mm -hmm. and then to say that historically the black church didn't get it is really crazy to me like the black church has persisted since they stepped off the shores, I mean, stepped right. onto the shores of America, right. like right. to say that they don't understand scripture and that they're not theological mm-hmm. is whack. Right. And I just had to say that, man, I, like that Absolutely. was crazy. I could not believe he said that. Well, and that, like you said, you know, the black church is the only one that's actually been able to see through the colonized version of the gospel to what true theology is. Okay. That's so. what I'm saying. Like, come on, man. But anyway, yeah, that was that, that being was said, bad. like, yeah, I think just telling black leaders like a remnant is going to come from Cush. Mm-hmm. And and um, in Zephaniah, it talks about how there's a gift that comes to the Lord from from a people of smooth, dark skin. You know, there is a role that we play um, in the unfolding story of God uh, that is even in our text. 
And to me, that is so dignifying. And um, so we just got to, you know, take care of ourselves. Like, I would say, take care of yourself. Um, And our story is already in the text. Mm -hmm. That's what I would say. Mm, Preach to me. That was powerful. I don't Mm -hmm. think I've ever read it that way either, you know, so you just gave me so much perspective and a different lens. Like that's that passage and passages like it are never going to, I'm not going to process them the same now. Um, Girl, that's why we need everybody at the table. Right. right? Yep. Absolutely. I cannot thank you enough for giving us this time and sharing your story and just being willing to Put everything out there. These are the conversations that I really, truly, mm. truly love because it it grows me. It challenges me. And, and I need that. And I want that. You know, God forbid the day ever comes that I'm not continuing to recognize just how much I don't know mm-hmm. and, and building relationship with those who can help pull back the veil for me. So mm-hmm. I just, I appreciate you so much. I know that our listeners do too. And I just want to say thank you. Yeah, no problem. I'll come back anytime. We're going to have to do that because there's like a part two and a part three and a part four in here. So, (laughs) so good. Thanks for listening to the Table Leadership Podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to the resources that were discussed at the table today and to connect with today's guest. Remember to subscribe to the Table Podcast and follow along on social media at the Table Leadership. Visit thetableleadership.com to learn more about current courses and coaching opportunities. And finally, you can connect with me, your host, at cionedgerton.com or on social media at cionedgerton. I look forward to the next time that you pull up a seat at the table.